Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Run Culture Podcast. Today I'm extremely privileged to be chatting to Dr. Jeff Marino. Jeff is a highly established and renowned physical therapist from Santa Cruz, California. In 2005, Jeff became the team physical therapist for Nike Team Run Los Angeles, a post-collegiate professional running team sponsored by Nike. Dr. Marino's running clientele have included US, Canadian, Mexican and Chinese Olympians in events from the 800 to the marathon. In 2015, he founded Move to Thrive and he also co-founded the Power Lab. There were just so many great points in this chat with Jeff. One of the key takeaways that I think a lot of runners will value was when he said, a coach should always take a how can I coach this athlete for life point of view when they're making training decisions. And I think a lot of runners, especially those that are self-coached, can take a lot away from this. Rather than let's get fit quick and rush a training preparation, if you think how can I run for life whenever you're making a training decision, you're more likely to make sustainable training decisions that don't lead into injury. Another really valuable point that I loved from this chat was when he discussed that every runner should become their own CEO. So runners should become independent runners, empowered runners that have a sense of control of their training. They know why they're doing certain things. And if you know why you're doing certain things, you're less likely to get injured. We then also went on to chat about the importance of creating a great environment for the evolution of a runner and the development of an athlete. And we finished off the chat with um, some discussion about the current Western healthcare system and our culture being far too reactive rather than preventative in nature and the pitfalls to this. It's a great chat. A lot of people will really value it. Uh, Once again, it's probably one of my favourites, so really want to get this one out there, and if you feel like someone's going to value from it, then share it. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Yeah, I just love love everything that you stand for in terms of... um, yeah, the whole move to thrive and um, uh, and uh, yeah, sort of going at it more, more. Yeah, I like how you say you're a confused professional, uh, confused physiotherapist. Like, because I think like normally the the better professionals are like, because um, yeah. you know that you're not just you can't solve everything like with your one sort of silo and yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, man, that's. Um... You know, the more I'm in this business and the longer I am, the more confused I get. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but at the same time, you know, I also get to meet really cool individuals that um, help to answer questions that, you know, maybe I've had or, or, um, you know, they're individuals that I can um, grab onto that maybe have superpowers that I don't have that can my, my, my athletes can benefit from or, or my company can benefit from. So yeah, it's, you know, like trying to lead a life that is really open and to everything. And, um, you know, just be curious and, and, and interested just like, as if you were a, a five-year-old kid looking at yeah. the world. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that's how I think about it in regards to move to thrive man, that's a really long story. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Power Lab, you know, came out of Move to Thrive. Um, but um, my initial purpose was really to really shift um, how people think about the importance of movement for kids, um, especially you know, here in the United States and, and I, I'm, I'm sure elsewhere where there's a massive problem with getting kids to love movement for what it is and, and getting kids outdoors and, and just enjoying the, our environment and enjoying the use of their minds and bodies in a way that's not on a computer or, um, you know, so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun, like a, interesting sometimes sad story yeah. <laughs> um but but it continues um yeah. and so um hopefully that journey in that direction will continue um yeah you know and and what i'm doing now in theory is 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 a way to help hopefully fund that um and you know i have other people around the world that believe in the same thing that that really are interested in shifting the paradigm of how people think about movement and the importance of movement and so yeah so yeah. if you were to ask me like yeah. what are your philosophies on yeah you know r running and and yeah I, you know i have kind of two philosophies because i i think of it as like i have two different passions uh -huh. um you know and so um yeah, I worked. So yeah, I sort of worked that out. Like, um, so it seems like you've sort of got, um, because uh, I heard you talking to, I think it was Neil Neil Brown, um, uh, and yeah, you definitely talked yeah. about the um, importance of physical literacy, and uh, I really liked it when you like. You talked about this uh, young kid that you were treating at the time. Yeah. He might have been 10, but he had low back pain and he really shouldn't have been having low back pain at that age. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that kid literally, um, you know, yeah, that kid. And I, I sort of sometimes get very emotional about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that kid literally changed my professional career, um, you know, at the time. And, and I, I met this kid and... And this, you know, one thing led to another. And after my evaluation of this kid, you know, I came to the conclusion that this kid really had, there was nothing wrong with the kid. The kid just didn't grow up in, a, in an environment that was conducive to the natural development of his self, right? And so not only was he physically 
illiterate, but he was also emotionally illiterate. And, and um, so I went on this six month journey with this kid, um, you know, and, and uh, it was, it was amazing. And, and um, uh, yeah, so it led me down this road of like, Hey, something needs to change. Um, it, it, I, you know, at the same time I was, you know, working in high performance and speaking and spoke, was speaking at Stanford and, and university and <laughs> their director of, of athletic training said, Hey, with all this stuff that you're speaking about, like how much of this is going to change in the next 15 to 20 years? Cause you know, their athletes were constantly hurt and the incidence of injuries was not, um, improving even though our knowledge of the human system from a kinematic and kinetic standpoint and was was much more profound right and and i said i i stopped for a, like a minute and said oh my gosh like i'll probably i'm probably going to be speaking about a lot of this you know the same things because i think we're looking at it the wrong way and and we need to attack it and and i still i think that for running you know, like it's not different for how I think about running injuries and how people, um, you know, reactively take care of their mind and body. And it's not until something's wrong until they actually say, okay, now I need to get healthy. And, and, uh, so at that point in time, after that comment, um, he said that comment because he was finishing up a, a four year study at Stanford of all their incoming athletes. And what he found was, is that, even prior to the athletes coming into the university, these are 18 year old kids, right? Some of the best athletes in the NCAA, um, you know, like they had like 260 years combined of total loss of practice time. And, you know, an some of them had an average of almost two surgical procedures before even entering the cert, in, in, you know? And so by the time, they got to the university and you add volume, intensity and density and stress of, of like a very academic, rigorous university. It, it's like a walking wounded, like depression, anxiety, suicide in some regards. Um, you, you know, it's, it was like a mess. And so six months later, I, I kind of took a sort of a mental sabbatical from running. Um, and six months later, I created a website. Um, Move to thrive. And then I called that guy and said, Hey, I need you to be one of my movement ambassadors. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm on it. And like, you know, that, that started this journey and it led to all the way to like trying to use really simple, low friction technology to, to connect parents, um, uh, um, physicians, pediatricians, and schools to like really bring about this change because it's a system-wide problem it's not it can't be just solved by um you know one specific system so we got to stanford university's hospital and they have a pediatric division of that and, and they just weren't interested yeah <laughs> it just like they're like, how are we going to make money on this? And I'm like, man, I'm just trying to help kids like live a better life because it's important, right? Like 70% of our kids are either obese or overweight. Like it's, that's a huge issue. Yeah. They're like, how are we going to make money? And I'm like, I just like almost stood up and walked, walked out. And so one of my co-founders at the time was like, hey, maybe we need to do this in a different way. 
maybe we need to look at it like the NBA and the NFL look at it where, you know, you know, we can use technology or we can use, um, you know, what's going on in professional sports, um, as a, as a way to, to start this process and then bring it backwards down. Um, and so, um, that's what we decided to do. Um, and we started in running because, you know, that's where my expertise lies. And, you know, I've, I've been around the world and done that and, and, um, and it, and I would tell you, it's really hard, <laughs> uh, but, um, anything worth doing is probably hard. Um, just like running, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, like I was talking to one of my Bowerman athletes and yeah, you know, we were like, Hey, like, does it ever get easy? No. Like it's always hard. <laughs> you may be running 14 something as a female for the 5k, but it never gets easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that. So is that like, Vanessa like, Fraser? Yeah. 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 So, um, so like, yeah, it's just, you know, like, I think I look at sport differently and I think I'm interested in the human and I'm interested in them being their best CEO and, and I'm interested in teaching them how to be their best CEO, which means being their best physical therapist and their best psychologist and their best athletic trainer and et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so, um, you know, I, yeah. And that's what I call being pro proactive, not reactive, um, in our healthcare system, as you know, is almost a hundred percent reactive. And so people don't understand any other way, but what the way the environment that they live in. Right. And so if the environment means, Hey, you only, you only go to the physio or you only go to whoever, you know, said practitioner, um, when things, something's broken, um, you know, that's a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to wait until my, my engine falls out of my car until I, you know, be, until I get it fixed, I'm, I'm going to get an oil change on a regular basis. Right. And so, um, you know, so, you know, but how do we do that? How do we teach athletes how to do that? How do we make them in charge of their own minds and body and not rely on a coach. Right. And so I just got a text today from an athlete and say, Hey man, I like, you know, we always banter back and forth because it's a relationship. Right. And yep. she's like, Hey man, I just, I'm like, how you doing? You know, how you taking care of your body? You, how you, she's like, yeah, I just, I just did 20 by 200 at like a very good clip 30 low third, you know, 30 something yep. the crew. Right. And, and with a 30, with a 200 meter jog and, you know, and I, I'm like, she's like, I know I probably shouldn't have done that, but I couldn't help myself. And Jerry wanted me to do it. And she's like, oh man, I was, I was not feeling good after that. And I'm like, oh, um, she's like, but I know, I know, I know I, I, I'm in charge, you know, like, and I love that. Cause that's like, Hey, it's okay to mess up, you know, like, yeah, it's okay to like, but, but she's learning to be her own CEO, right? She's learning to be her best coach. She's learning to listen. Um, and now she's, she knows that, Hey, I better do this. If, 
if Tokyo is my game because I, you know, like I, I don't have to worry about anything until the trials in June and Tokyo in July, right? And so why am I doing this now? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. I, so, it, you know, we talk about the long game and we, we talk about being that best CEO and, and, and part of her superpower and other superpowers are very defined common denominators that I, I feel at, like athletes have that are really the best in the world. And, and one of them is, is an understanding of self and, and con, what I call control. I call it the five, um, um, C's of high performance. Um, so, yep. and one of those C's is just control, um, and, and being aware of, of how to control your motivation and, um, you know, your emotions and what have you. So, yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah. Like. It's about, it's about relationships, man. It's about just authenticity and, and being human. And yeah, I don't really care about any of the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, um, so cool. And also like, um, I think it was when you're chatting to, um, yeah, uh, Chris Johnson, um, uh, on his, uh, it was a YouTube um, chat that you had in 2015 and uh, I remember you said um, it was about talking about the high injury rates and how they haven't changed in running and how every year 79% or so runners get an injury every year and uh, yeah 90% of marathoners get some kind of niggle or injury in their build up and Mm. that hasn't changed uh, and yeah, you, you um, said that when you have someone in front of you, you don't just see them, but you see them how they were as a kid. Um, and when you see a current athletic athlete and their problem, like you also sort of feel like we've got to deal with the youth. And, um, uh, yeah. and yeah, I, I thought that was really good because often we just think about the problem now and we're, we're quite reactive to sort of a myopic in our view. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, ah, man, I did, I don't even know where to start with that uh, <laughs> because it's, you know, I, I think I take, of it, I take from it a lot of kind of the theories of, you know, I guess ec- ecological dynamics of like, you know, we, the, we're, we're an organism, the individual, right. And then you have the environment that that individual is in, and it's just like a training environment, right? Like that individual is going to adapt to the stresses that's placed upon them, um, dependent upon what that environment is. Right. And, and that's both physical and mental. So like, you know, what, like, I'm so interested, uh, you know, I, I think when I go in with a client, which, which has evolved over time now, like, you know, I'm super interested in them just telling me a story, you know, and, yeah. and what, when I ask, Hey, tell me a story. They're like, they're always so taken aback because one, no one asks them about that stuff anymore. They just ask them about, you know, Hey, you know, you ran, you know, 
you know, 205 for the marathon and yeah. how cool was that? How did it feel? Like, no, like I want to know, like, what's really important is the things that have, have shaped his ability to do that um, and allowed him to do that, which is, is his environment, um, you know, and so, um, which is a development thing. Um, and, and like, what are the, what are those common, you know, like I've always been interested in understanding what the common denominators of those successful people were, right. And like, how did they get there? And, and what's, what's the mindset that allowed them to, to, to achieve those great things. Right. And, and who are the, who, who, how are they intrinsically motivated? Um, what drives them? What gives them purpose? Like, do they define themselves in, as an athlete or do they find themselves as, a, as an actual human being? Um, like, how do they, how do they deal with failure um, and defeat? Right. And, um, so, you know, besides the obvious, tell me about your other injuries and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I want to know all that stuff. Who were your coaches before? Um, here's a great question. What was your coach's training philosophy, which none of them will be able to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like, um, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, well, why why do you do that? Why do you do the drill or, yeah. 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 Well, like what, you know, which means that they're used to being a factory worker, not a CEO. Right. They're used to they're you're, you're, they're used to being told what to do and not know why they're doing it versus being in charge of what they're doing um, and making sure that every little thing is because there's a purpose for it. Right. Um, I'm interested in that. Like and if they don't have that, that's OK. But how do we get them there? Because like, you know, I I don't want them seeing me for a life <laughs> yeah like you know like i want to i want to be the mentor i don't want to be a physio um for them like i want to help answer questions and feed their curiosity but i don't want to be the the natural like de- defining or definition of a physio that they see because something's wrong right <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's the parad- That's the paradigm shift that I want all physios to make. Like, I want physios not to think that they're they're the ones that only have to deal and react to someone's problems. But hey, like, how do we never let those problems occur in the first place? Like, how crazy is that? Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, what about having a cardiothoracic surgeon who said, "How do I never do surgery again?" Right. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. But, but in, in our, in our healthcare, it's like, man, if I'm seeing, if I'm doing surgery, I'm making more money. And so it's not incentivized. Right. So our healthcare system is not incentivized for someone that, for a physio to act pro proactively because they don't get paid. Like, how crazy is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I like I got to a point where I was like, I can't work in this system anymore. Like I, that, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't even know. I don't even know if I want to be called a physio anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you just find I, you're putting band-aids on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like in like to think that that's the only way in my system in the United States that I can actually get paid by an insurance company is like crazy. 
<laughs> no wonder, no wonder the incidence of injuries is the same because no one's acting proactively in these athletes' lives, like at any level, like at, and it's even harder at the highest level, right? Um, so that's, I want people to talk about that. Like, I want people to, to say, hey, health, like, and here's my PT philosophy. Yeah. Um, health and performance are intimately linked and you can't have one without the other, bar none. And so, and, and, and if that's so, if I keep someone consistently healthy and available to train, it's almost impossible for them not to get better. <laughs> like it's yeah. like literally impossible for them not to get better. <laughs> um, and like, instead of like, Oh shoot, you know, like I, you know, like, you know, like I got to run 20 times 200 at 32 seconds with a, you know, and, and it's only, what day is it? It's only October 21st and, and you know, and, and my Olympic trials are not until June. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ah, whatever, you know, like I, under, I get it. I get it. Um, but I, you know, the long game, the long game consistent, like my five C's is correct loading, co consistency, capacity, control, um, be your best CEO. Like none of that has to do with performance, but everything has to, uh, all those have to do with performance, right? Like, yeah, yep. that's what I want people to start talking about. Like I, you know, and you know, so one way to do that is to educate individuals and in how I think about technology and, and what we do, um, is like, it's complex and it can be complex. Just like you talked with Max, right? It yep. doesn't need to be complex because it uh -huh. could be as just as simple as, Hey, how do you feel? How hard was that? Or it can be massively complex. But I think that, I think that with all that, even that people are missing the point because the point isn't that we're collecting massive amounts of data, like billions of points of data on end individuals. The point is, is like at, at the most basic level is to facilitate the athlete and bring attention to something that they maybe otherwise would not have been paying attention to. Yeah. Like at the most basic level, it's like, Hey, I'm on your shoulder, self-determination theory. Like I'm on your shoulder looking at you and saying, Hey man, like I care about you. Like you're in the, you're in the red today. Like it doesn't mean that you shouldn't run, but, but I really want you to like, if you're in it for the long game, I really want you to, to like make a very like positive decision in your health. And I don't know what that means, but I want you to like, just getting them to think about that. I think <laughs> most people like, just are looking at the numbers and forget like maybe that's just po powerful enough to facilitate a better decision. Right. Yep. Um, and I get really worked up about that stuff <laughs> <laughs> because it's about being, it's about teaching them to be their best CEO. It's about educating them on, Hey, 
why do we do this stuff? Like if I'm a physio and I'm looking at how to create change, there's a very defined motor learning process that occurs, right? Like I, I'm, I'm going to bring attention to something because if the athlete doesn't know what's going on, how are they, how can they change anything? I'm going to build context through movement or whatever. I'm, I'm going to integrate that into something that is sports specific. And then I'm going to, I'm going to stabilize that over time. And then I'm just going to repeat that and repeat that and repeat that in many different ways. Right. Um, and so like, but the first part is bringing attention so that they become an integral part in their athletic life or their movement life or their health. Um, if health equals performance, which it does. So, um, and I don't think, I think people miss the boat on whether it's technology or whether it's coaching or whether it's whatever it's like, Hey, no, like, you know, like athlete, are you seeing space? Like, are you seeing, um, kind of the big picture? Are you, are you aware of self from a physical and psychological standpoint? And can you make changes on your best benefit, not, not your coaches or not the athlete that you're working out with. Right. Um, that's the exciting stuff to me. Yeah. Um, man, like that <laughs> that's good. gets me so worked up. <laughs> so is that how power lab formed? Um, so that's how you, um, like, yeah. yeah. So like we said, okay, you know, like this other, like, we can't go from the bottom up. And so like, we're going to take the idea that, okay, in my buddies and professional athletes who work in the NBA, you know, they're using tech technology and some of it base, basic and some of it complex to make sure that health and performance are intimately linked. Because if you have like a $10 million guy sitting on the bench because they're injured, that's a really bad business deal. And so, that group or that that those athletes are incentivized to stay healthy so those guys are doing in the in the company which is the owners or are, are doing everything they can to figure out how to be proactive in those guys life so i'm like man like why can't we do that in the general population or in the sport of running and and just bring it down the other direction and we can, and, and, and so like, why can't we just use low friction, um, you know, hardware that, you know, that, you know, that people collect every day or the data they collect every day that, and they don't really use and use it to like understand their, their internal and external load better and bring attention to something that, that is important to their long-term health and, and, um, and so it's been a wild journey um, and, <laughs> and positive and, and there's been positive things come out of it. And also, um, you know, really hard things um, in terms of adoption and getting people to, you know, even take us seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and like, because, um, 
because it's so it's it's not different and i wouldn't say it's widely crazy it's just like for people to to um think about their health uh in a proactive way it's like so unusual for them it's like you know like you like I, there's nothing wrong with me like why do i have to be thinking about this right um, yeah and i'm like how do i how do i get them to think the other way right and it's been super challenging um <clears throat> you know and it helps to have people like max who are starting to talk about these things it helps to have other researchers um doing some work in this space um but then also i'm like wait a minute we've been doing this for a, a while now like yeah <laughs> throw it the bone man <laughs> <laughs> uh it's so funny um but yeah like so i mean you know that's we, you know there's a lot of things that need to change and there's there's a lot of improvements that we need to make and and um there's a lot of innovation that still needs to occur um but we have a mvp or a minimum viable product that we use and and as a physio like i have my own team and i track my athletes all over the world wherever they are at every every you know and i know exactly what they're doing and and you know that gives me the opportunity for example to send a text to Vanessa and say hey man I, yeah you're really you're really killing it maybe killing it a little bit too much at this time of stage of the game yeah <laughs> how you doing you're like i feel great like i know you feel great but let's let's think about this like let's let's look at this on a bigger picture right and and um for me that's like the the biggest like that's the the ability to step out of the four walls that a physio lives in and be able to engage and connect intimately with your individuals no matter where they are because you know what's going on or you've created this opportunity where, where you guys can share information to me um that's the most important piece it isn't that the algorithms are perfect it isn't that they won't improve or get better um but it's like it's like it's like rethinking how we do business and rethinking how we take care of these humans when they're not with us which is 99.9999% of the time right like the ability to influence and educate them it um outside of our four walls that we live in how how amazing would that be right yeah <laughs> like and and you know those clients that come in and say hey you know like i was doing this and you know like i did this this and this and you're like man i wish i would have just been able to like know that or like i wish like i knew that was going to happen based on what they were doing and i wish like i just had the opportunity to to communicate to them hey here's what i want you to pay attention to um like it's just education man it's just a relationship um and i don't i don't think i think um that's how we can start to shift the paradigm in in healthcare and that's how i think 
we can start to shift the paradigm in how we as physios or healthcare providers or practitioners like rethink how we are, we're taking care of our, our humans. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it needs to be too complicated, um, but. But especially running, like it's, it's so like you can get sucked in so easily um, when you're trying to improve, but trying to balance that, yeah, that passion with um, like a common sense sort of logical decision, um, like that's yeah. so hard. Um, but it, like that's what I, in reading up about like Tower Lab and and sort of looking at the app, like that's what it looks like. It tries to like help help runners with in terms of um, be able to predict predict um, what's too much or what's a sensible amount of training to do tomorrow. Or totally, yeah, and it's like. Um... You know, I, I talk about it trying to protect them from their motivation, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, you know, and, you know, it, getting better doesn't happen overnight, but, but man, everybody sure wants that to happen, right? And it's, and they're so like focused and they're so motivated to succeed. And then you have 20 other people around you that are driving you to do that. And, pulling you and, 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 and so it's hard to control that. Right. And so, um, having a tool that can help that process, whether it's the coach or the physio or the athlete themselves, um, is really important. Um, and then doing that in a, in a, in a simple, but yet complex way, you know, like Taking in this data and understanding it is complex, man. There's a lot of information, but then, then how do you visualize that in a way that is not threatening and, and engaging and, and connected and that, you know, those are things that, um, you know, I've learned and yeah. is, is, is really fun is like trying to solve these problems of like man, how do I solve this behavioral issue? Cause it's really about behavior, right? Like how do I, sh- how do I, I nudge someone towards being their best self over a long period of time, right? Um, how do I, how do I inspire them to take control of their own training habits and listening to their body better? All that stuff is like super interesting and and how do I do that when like, I've never met the person. Right. And I, I'm, I'm not doing what we're doing right now. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like those things, you know, are fun as a confused th- therapist <laughs> that it's never been in technology to, to have to like, you know, try to figure out with a team. Um, so, um, and again, you know, we have a, a long ways to go, um, but we're, we're getting there and, and, um, you know, it's, it's hard. Fun. Like I've, I've got an athlete who I'm coaching at the moment and he'd confess that, you know, I always look at his training program and I'm like, why, why did, why did you, um, you added a little bit more on, or you did a little bit more, a, a little bit, went a little bit quicker there. Um, and like, uh, and I've had chats to him saying, oh, like you're constantly training, um, you know, at this harder pace, like it's unsustainable. Like you can only do that for so long. Um, 
and he knows it, but then he doesn't change his behavior. Um, and I was chatting to someone yesterday about, oh, how can I ch change this athlete of mine's uh, behavior? And he's like, he told me a story about someone he coached and, and he said for two years, that athlete was um, constantly overtraining and doing more than he'd prescribed. And then it wasn't until they went on a trip together uh, uh, and they stayed together and, and he said, he took him aside and said, look, I just can't keep coaching you if you're, if you're not going to listen because you'll perform that much better if you just start, you know, taking an easy day as an easy day. And yeah. for some reason, something just clicked, um, uh, clicked that day. And then the year after that athlete really started performing like he's never performed yet. He was training easier. And, um, uh, uh, so yeah, chatting to this coach yesterday, he's like, oh, I've found that um, sharing stories, um, like sharing stories, whether they're personal experiences or past experiences seems to yes. sometimes get get your athletes to to suddenly change their behavior, but it's it's so hard. Like, um, and like that's someone that I'm pretty like close to, like an athlete I'm close to and still, still it's taking time to change their behavior. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I'm, deal I'm, I'm with him a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's super, it's super hard, man. And I, th I would say, in my experiences, you know, the best has been analogies of uh, different athletes, or, you know, using other athletes to, to mentor that athlete outside of the coach athlete relationship that they look up to, right. And, and so, um, you know, I mean, yeah, we're not, we're, we're definitely as, you know, as humans, we always, we don't necessarily make the most logical decisions at times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that's okay. I think sometimes, you know, how do we learn, you know, we learn through experience, right. And, and some, some athletes need a little bit more of a difficult road through experiences to kind of make better decisions over time, you know, in, in a safe way. I think that is not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Um, um, and it's also why, you know, what do we see when someone comes off of an injury? You know, it's a lot of times they'll, they'll hit a PR coming back because they just have had so much time to just feel good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell, I tell my athletes like, and especially my young ones, um, Hey man, you know, like it, it's okay to feel good as a runner when you wake up in the morning the next day. Like that's not a bad thing. It's like, you don't, it, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, um, you don't have to feel bad all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, like, and if you are like, Hey, let's figure something out. Um, and you can tell when they are. Um, yeah. But, um, and you know, like the science is pretty there. I mean, one of my athletes is a world champ and, and 90% um, of her training program is done at easy pace. I have all the, like all the data and like 90% is done at her easy pace. Right. And so like, it's just like accumulation of, of time that facilitates 
this this robustness and resiliency and and performance and it's hard for kids to understand that but i also think it's the environment they're put into at a young age right and they're not taught that and you know when there's when they're in grade school and when they're you know coming up it's like you know they go out and they have one speed and that speed is like pretty hard right (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and so like that's just part of you know coaching and um kind of looking at the big picture and and for me a coach is really one thing a mentor and and like if someone were to say what's the goal of a coach or a practitioner or whatever the goal of the coach or the practitioner is to never be their last coach yeah so you're taking that long-term approach like yeah done like like and if you're if you have that goal of never being their last coach you're going to do everything you can like be outside of performance to make sure that they're having fun and, and they're showing up tomorrow and and they're they're enjoying running because like do you want them to run for life because it's the best activity um, and most fundamental thing we do as humans, right? Yeah. Um, besides walk. So like, that's how I think about this whole process is like, how do I never be their last coach? Like, how do I never be their last mentor? How do like, I get them so excited about this sport that they couldn't imagine living without it. Right. Um, <laughs> which has nothing to do with performance, right? But everything to do with performance. Um, that that's, excites that's, that's such a good view. Like that's such a good way to, to view it because it once you're taking that stance, you sort of start to view the whole athlete and, and yeah, the like, bigger and picture. How, like how do you, like it's going to change how you view like practice, right? It's going to change how you view your communication with that athlete. It's going to change how you view their whole macro cycles during the year and like, you know, how do, how do I, how do I create this environment that they, they really want to show up and invest time in, right? Not only in time in themselves, but time, you know, investing in their, their, their um, teammates or, or whatever it may be, regardless of the sporting domain. Um, these are the things that I, I think, like just get lost, right? Like, I, I mean, I own a software and, and analytics company and like, you know, these are the things I care about most. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even care about the data. I'm like, you know, like how do, how do we solve these issues? And like, why, you know, why don't kids want to be active? And why, why do, by the time the kid is 14, eight, 80% of kids quit sports, right? And like, how is that helping anybody? How is that helping them? And how is that helping our society? And um, how is that help helping, you know, them mature as human beings that that need movement in their life to be successful from a psychological and physical standpoint, right? So, um, you know, and running just happens for me to be a way to, to op- actualize those things. Um, but it isn't about running. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard yeah. you talk about um, 
uh, when you're trying to build sort of a, a resilient sort of uh, human um, that they should, uh, like you, you sort of talked about the Kenyans and, um, and a third world country and, and they get a lot right there, I guess, um, with the way that they live. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, like, this comes back to that ecological dynamics theory, right? Of like, you know, how we grow up and where we grew up and, um, kind of matters a, a, quite a bit. Right. And, you know, environments where, you know, there's, there's more labor that is required. Right. Um, you know, like I, if, here's a great example of this, like, and especially during this period of time, but, you know, I deal with a lot of NCA teams and some of my coaching conversation or my, my conversations with the coaching staffs are like, Hey man, like, here's what I'm seeing right now. Here's an observation. And I, I just, you know, do what you want with it, but I, I might ha communicate with your kids, um, your 40 athletes that you have that are going to begin training or, or are training currently. Right. And, and the observation is, is like, Hey, we've been in this crazy lockdown, you know, like, kids have been learning from home, which means that they're not just moseying around campus and doing what kids do, which is just mess around. Yeah. Um, and they're sitting all day and they're watching Netflix and like, then they're just training hard because that's what we want them to do. And the consequence of that is like, man, there's a lot of kids that normally don't have niggles are having niggles because you know, there, there's just so much static seated, like doing nothing time now where like at least going to school provided them with some variability of movement, right. Um, where there's very little variability of movement right now. So, Hey, team coach, I know this sounds crazy and you're <laughs> going to think I'm a nut job, but, but like, can you tell your kids that they can't sit in a chair all day long? I don't care where they sit. Like in, they can lay on their head, you know, <laughs> lay on the stomach, lay on their back, sit on the ground, but just do not let them sit like in a conventional chair. Um, not because I think it tightens their hip flexors because I actually don't think of that, to be honest with you, but, but, but I just want some variability of movement. And I think living in societies that, that there are still forms of physical labor that is required because, you know, like no one, no one there is, is driving your groceries to your front door or like your food or, you know, there's, you know, there's a form of physical labor that's occurring is so massively important. Now they have some other major issues, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we're lucky to not have. Um, um, but from a variability of movement standpoint, which is really important pre 13, 14, um, man, that's, it's a great environment to live up, live in. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so those, those things are super important. And again, like, I think it doesn't have, it, it, it like, it isn't complex. It doesn't have to be, um, complex things that we need to do, but I think it, it takes 
someone just stepping back and looking from a 30,000 foot view and observing life in a different way in a, from a different lens. Um, and, um, you know, I think, I think that's the superpower of a physio and like, I think they can use that superpower in different ways than they were taught. Right. Um, so that's, that's what I want. I have this love, hate relationship with a lot of things. <laughs> One being in physical therapy, yeah. the next being sport. Like I have a love-hate relationship with sport. Um, What's uh, the love-hate relationship with sport? Because like it's given me everything. Like I, I wasn't the kid in school that was the smartest. And like I, I move, like I learned through movement and I learned through observation and like, because you were yeah, a wrestler, just, weren't you? The what? Yeah. You, you were a wrestler, yeah. Yeah, and that's very physical, right? And <laughs> and so so I learned through, like, I can see, I, I remember just seeing things and being like, man, is that person seeing that? Am I the only one seeing that? Like, And so, like, because I wasn't a very good learner when I was younger, like, I think that skill of observation was enhanced just like someone who's blind and their skill of like touch is enhanced or their, their skill of listening was enhanced. And so, um, like, I think, I think, um, being able to take advantage of that and it, so like sport has given me everything and I, and, 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 it's what I love from a profession, but I also like sport, um, is also used in a very like unfortunate way, um, sometimes and, and ruins a lot of kids and, and, um, becomes very unhealthy in certain ways for individuals and, um, or, the experience that they had within sport is such where they never come back to sport, right? Because it's not inclusive. Um, you know, like, you know, I was fortunate to be a really good athlete and like, I never thought about it when I was a kid that, Hey, not everybody gets to be on the starting team and not everybody gets to compete, um, as a certain high school or collegiate athlete. And, you know, like, I just took that for granted, you know, but like you have this whole, like you have 90% of the other, all the other kids who are like, can't necessarily make those teams, but then there's nothing for them. Like the system isn't built for them. So what do they do? They quit, right? Like, and they never come back to it. Um, and I'm like, man, that's just like, that's not right. Like, yeah. how do like, and then, you know, hopefully they'll find something outside of competitive sports, whether it's biking or walking or hiking or rock climbing or surfing, if you live in my neck of the woods, but you know, a lot of them just don't and they never fall in love with movement, which is so essential for our lives. Right. And so that's my love hate relationship with sport. Yeah. And it's always like some of the uh, really competitive um, uh, systems like, uh, like they're, they're so focused on doing well, um, and the short term and, and making sure that, um, their team's really good. 
And then it, that yeah. almost is a detriment because they're, they're not taking that sort of long-term approach, like you said, with the coaching. Um, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, like, you know, and, and, and they're eight years old, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're the best, but they're the best eight-year-olds you'll ever see. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, I just want to, like, you know, my, my friends in, in sport just, like, want to wring people's necks because, like, this kid's eight years old and you just basically you're you're gonna be his last coach because he'll never come back to that sport ever and how sad is that man like but even like the lasting impression like that kid will always think of that experience and that and will always have that sort of i suppose in their head like yeah 100 percent. like why why would that kid ever want to try out for another sport because he's going to relate that experience to that other sport right and so they just don't, right? And, and so that's and that's why I like, you know, the Norwegian system where they don't keep score and until you know, preteen or or teenage years, which is really awesome. And they just want to expose people to playing a game because it is a game, right? And I love that, and it's like <laughs> systems like that get me fired up. Um, yep. But I also think it's also what makes people and athletes who they are later on in life, right? The best soccer players aren't the ones who have been in an academy for years are the ones that they found playing in the streets and developing skills that can't be developed within an academy system, right? And same thing with running, um, you know, so, um, you know, yeah, so I, That's I, cool. I try yeah. not to have too many opinions on that. But <laughs> well, um, when you're talking uh, to Chris Johnson again, you you mentioned um, a really good analogy about Greg Rutherford, uh, who won the gold medal at the London Olympic long jump, um, mm-hmm. and just about his training. I thought it was really cool because he's such a high level performer. Um, but the training that he was doing, I don't know, it sounded like he like knew what worked for him and he had to, um, it's not like he was, he, he what, cause I, I think we get stuck in like more's better. Like that, that mentality yeah. these days or the society, we often fall into the trap of that, but it didn't sound like he was doing that. No, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, and yeah. there's more, there's so many examples of athletes that figure out what works for them, right? Um, um, it usually takes a lot of bad things to happen, right? Um, so I think prior to that, he had some foot or calf issues that re- resulted in him having to downshift, right? And, and they they found that hey, may, you know, maybe maybe training once or twice a week and doing everything in between to support that was more beneficial than him training more than that at the time right and um and being confident in your preparation and and being confident who you are as an athlete which takes a lot of time right um so um yeah i mean i think if i were to make a statement too i I do believe that most individuals um are overtrained and under recovered, right? Um, but there isn't a great system for us to understand where that 
where that line individually is, you know, and, you know, part of some of the research that we're doing is trying to figure out, well, like, how do, how do we use really simple data to understand where that fence is? And, you know, like being able to objectively define when someone's fallen off the fence and when, when they need to downshift. And, but then it, to me, it also comes back to, you know, paying attention, um, you know, knowing your key performance indicators, your KPIs and as an athlete and, and saying, Hey, like this was easy for me last week or the week before. And now this is really hard. And why is that? Right? Like, Oh yeah. My, my girlfriend was got mad at me or, my sleep has sucked or I, I traveled over certain time zones or, you know, like that stuff to me is what I mean by seeing space and paying attention. And I don't think that's incentivized very much. Um, you know, you'll never like, I want someone to recover just as hard as they train. Right. Like, and, and that isn't incentivized. Um, um, but we are only as best as, as we are with our recovery, right? Because that's what facilit- allows us to, to facilitate growth over time, right? So, um, uh, yeah, like I think it's just education. And, and I, I want my athletes to be able to say the same things that I'm saying because they understand it to be true because they've experienced it, right? Um, and I think that's that's exciting stuff to me like you know that's really exciting stuff <laughs> yeah and no, I, I think um like i really liked um another quote that i've seen you say um you said exceptional environments um uh, are the key not exceptional kids um so like how yeah. much do you um sort of uh, feel like it's the environment versus sort of talent and, and, and how uh, that interplay, um, when it comes to performance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have an athlete right now and here's a great example of this is that she was good high school runner. She wasn't nationally the best runner, but she was good. She went to a university who um, didn't give her a scholarship, um, but let her walk on. um, And that was great. And and like she, some of our conversations through those times were like, hey, here's your deal. Like, you, you, you don't have to be those other people who are like nationally ranked and you know, won everything at a young age. Um, you just be you, show up each day, compete, repeat that process and just stay healthy, right? And and so by the second year, you know, she earned a scholarship. By the fifth year, she like was the, the school record, record holder for as her distance. And, um, and, and it's, it's hard to objectify or quantify um, like someone's mind, right. And someone's, someone's motivation. Right. And, and so, and, and that, that, that goes for, 
what happens at the NFL combine, right? Like there's, there's so many data points, but there's so many examples of the worst athlete being the best athlete over time. Right. (laughs) Um, And I, I'm really interested in those, those individuals who are not defined as being talented, but have a, a level of intrinsic motivation that, that is just different. Right. Um, and if you can keep those individuals healthy and then good, amazing things happen. And so, and that's, and again, that comes back to like, just being in an environment, um, where you allow that to actualize over time. And hopefully that's, you know, encompasses a lot of different things. So, um, yeah, I don't, I like, I hate the whole talented, talent stuff and talent ID identification and like, like, I, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in humans and like, I'll, I'll take a kid that works really hard every day and shows up over a kid that won a state championship when they're, you know, 14 or 13 or 17, right? Like I almost prefer them not to win. Right. Because, you know, I think early success, you know, breeds complacency over time. Right. And so, you know, I, I want them to work for something and, and be okay with not being great, but constantly trying to figure something out. Right. That I think like me. the, that, um, resiliency and that, um, that, uh, love of the sport and that, that just that keenness to do every little 1%. Like, I think that's a talent in itself. Like, like often people yeah, talk about talent. Like, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the most important talent, I think. Like, yeah. yeah. And we're so caught up with this physical stuff. Right. Um, um, because it is easy to objectify uh, or quantify, I guess. And I don't know, man. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's awesome. Um, Jeff, like, I really love this chat. Um, like, I think um, so many like listeners will get a lot out of it because it's um, really insightful and it's really genuine. And, um, and, and obviously you've just got such a wealth of experience um, uh, with movement and with physical therapy. And, and um, I really actually, I, I um, love the way like your take on it. Cause it's, it's, it's so, so similar to mine actually, because that's, um, something that does my head in is, um, and it has, um, yeah, the last, um, 10 years is going into the clinic and, um, just, um, treating reactively. Um, and so, yeah, trying to get a bit more, uh, preventative and, and on the front foot is, um, yeah, is actually like really in line with my philosophy as well. So it's really cool to talk to someone on the other side of the world. Um, like with, with the same, same feelings because, uh, yeah, not every physical therapist or, or health practitioner, um, always focuses on that. Like, yeah, they've got the, they do have like 
you know, the best intentions and they are caring people, but it's, um, it's just cool to talk um, to someone who really focuses on that as well and is trying to make a difference. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, I, I get a lot of time to bang my head against the wall at times. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I, I, I don't blame the, anybody like, you know, the therapists, you know, that are in the, in clinics and I was one of those and because they don't know any different, right? Mm -hmm. That's like how the system is created. Like there is, you know, and in, in, in it, and it's not until you get frustrated enough to say like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Which was me was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. There has to be a better way. Like this can't be the only way, right? This, um, but also, you know, having a love and a passion for my profession and a love and passion for movement. And, and so I think what my response would be to other individuals is like, my way isn't the way for everybody, but there has to be another way. And I, I would challenge every health practitioner from a physio to a chiro to a physician to think about the other way really hard um, because um, the current way isn't sustainable and you will not see changes in the incidence of injuries or or anything like the acl is a good example of this right like how much more do we know about the acl in the last 30 years and like yeah we know so much down the to the tissue level yet <laughs> yet everybody's still blowing their acls out right yeah so like why is that like someone needs to think really hard about like no it isn't just a, because their glute is weak or their quad is weak uh, or they train too much and their their training load was too high maybe it's like something else right like those are the, I want people to think in a different way because the current way isn't working, right? Yeah. <laughs> and those are the people that I'm interested in hanging out with all day long, like, because they drive a level of curiosity for me to be better and for me to create something that, like, can make a difference, you know, and that's what I would say to individuals is like, there has to be a diff, a better way. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Like I don't want to see someone like, you know, I want to have serious conversations. Like I don't want to see another dent need heel raise on the internet. again. <laughs> like, like I don't want to see that anymore. Like, I understand why you're showing this, but like, that's not the problem. There's a different problem, right? Like what's the cause, you know? Um, let's take it to the next level, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and I love the soleus, like it's the most important muscle for runners. But if I see another <laughs> bent knee heel raise on the Instagram, I think I'm gonna strangle myself. <laughs> <laughs> so just getting getting to the root cause like the the crux the crux of it yeah, like that, that drives you it's like the crux was 15 years before that right like in that kid's life like 
there's a lot of issues that we're not dealing with that need to be dealt with. And, and yeah, you know, maybe they need to be doing a bit need heel raise with one and a half times their body weight. Like I agree, like, yeah, but let's, let's, let's take it a, a, like even further. Right. And, um, and people like Rich Willie and people like Max and Trent and, you know, I think, um, and others, um, I think, are really in trying to start uh, that process in in a more conventional way. Um, you know, maybe like maybe I'm just a little crazy, and I'm I'm thinking about it a little bit more of a, on a thirty thousand foot view. Um, but and but we need both, right? And so, yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hope. Yeah. Hopefully, I won't get a lot of hate mail for that. <laughs> <laughs> if if Jeff, if um if listeners were like keen to find out more about Power Lab and and um yeah research more about you, like what's the best method to um find Man, out more? Send me an email. Like I love just having a a, a deep conversation for with someone who has some crazy thoughts about how to take care of people. Um, I'm, I'm super interested in their thoughts. Um, so they can email me at jeff at powerlab.com. Um, they can find us on the internet um, at powerlab.com. Um, yeah. And, and so I'm, I, you know, basic, that's kind of basically what I do if I'm not working with someone is just to, you know, understand the, the, the wants and the needs of an individual who, who just wants to be, to move for life and do what they love. Yeah. So don't be shy and, and, and don't send me any videos of a bent need heel raise. <laughs> That's awesome, Jeff. Uh, thanks so much yeah. for your time. Um, I think my dog's telling me to wrap it up. Um. <laughs> <laughs> thanks man. Hey, it's so, uh, so great. Um, yeah. You know, let's do this again. And I'd love, love to chat.